And we flip the record over, and uh, we're here on the other side, as we do every day, every week, Monday through Friday. It's Monday through Friday? Every Wednesday at 11.30 a.m., we have the Carolina Contractor Show here on WBAG. And with uh, owner-operator Donnie Blanchard, glad to have you here today, Donnie. Always glad to be back, Mark. Thank yeah, you. Good, good. Glad to have you all in, uh, in the studio. And you've got a guest today? We do, we do. So uh, this week we have just been inundated with a ton of questions, and they're all really good. So I wanted to say this uh, to everybody listening. If we don't get to your question today or even next week, we've got it on our uh, list, and, and we will eventually get to those. And if we don't answer it on the show, I'll definitely email you a reply back best I can but we got one question in particular this week and I know that this one this one will resonate with a lot of folks and actually my guest today Christopher Matkins um, he just went through this process so first of all thanks for coming back Chris I appreciate you taking your time off today oh thanks for having me back in man it's always a pleasure yep Um, well I'll go ahead with the question and I'll let Christopher uh, explain his experience here but uh, someone emailed us this week and said we plan on selling our house this summer is there anything we can do to be proactive in anticipation of a home inspector? And I'll just go ahead and let Christopher field this one. So, yeah, a couple of points on that. We we just, my wife and I just sold our house. We were able to work with Amber Harveus with the A-Team out of Keller Williams. It was an amazing experience. Um, we, we, we had just this situation where... They, they put our house on Facebook, and within a day, like, our phone mm-hmm. was, like, constantly blowing up. Um, we had over 40 showings in less than three days, 20,000-plus um, Facebook views, hundreds of comments and shares. We were able to sell our house in a day for over the asking price. So Amber and them over at the A-Team, uh, they're amazing. They, they've got the best vehicle in town to put your house in it and, and get it moved. So definitely give them a call, and I know that – that Donnie works with them with roofing and with contracting as well. So they're definitely great to work with. We do. We do. I think the only comment, and this wasn't a negative comment, when he mentioned that a lot of folks had things to say regarding his listing, the only thing that had the slightest uh, not positive was someone said, hey, that house would look a lot better on 10 acres. So that was the worst thing they had to say about it. And <laughs> I, um, it I really, uh, <laughs> right, I, uh, I, I was blown away myself. They tell you right there on facebook how many shares it has and how many people have viewed it and the proof is just right there and um i think that that's the new wave in real estate and you know picking a realtor if you're going to sell of course it's a seller's market right now and uh having a nice house at a good price is going to make that house move but like christopher mentioned the vehicle uh, how they get that that out there is um is all the difference in the world a lot of folks just pop a sign in the yard and say uh, we hope for the best, but she was very proactive. And I'll tell you another thing that I think really helps it move is just staging the house, being able to have your house photogenic and for it to look very nice. You know, just put your best foot forward. You you do that, and then you put it into their pipeline, and they're probably going to be able to, to move it on for you. So you said something really interesting earlier, and we were talking about this home inspection because that's a given. If you sell your house, the uh, uh, any buyer, especially an educated buyer, is going to get a home inspector. Usually it's going to be a local guy who's pretty well-seasoned and has a good reputation. But um, uh, Christopher mentioned earlier that basically there are three professionals involved. You've got the home inspector uh, and, of course, the uh, the general contractor who will be doing the work and the real estate agent as the three people, and everybody – has the same goal in mind, but uh, there's a lot that goes into that home inspection process. And as far as being proactive to answer this listener's question, 
go ahead with what you told me, Chris, earlier. Right. So there's a couple ways of looking at this. You know, you're the seller, you're the buyer. So everybody's going to be in one situation or the other. So to, to answer the question, the seller, the thing to do to be proactive is to address, say, okay, we're getting ready to put our house on the market. I'm going to have the roofer come out. I know the roof has been, you know, 10 years old. I want a roofer to come out. I want them to look at it. I want to know what's going on. What will happen is you'll sell your house. You'll be under contract. The home inspector comes out. You're oblivious to the fact that your roof needs to be replaced, and now you're hit with, you know, say a five to $10,000 bill. It's going to come out of your pocket. So that's your money. So the thing to do is to be proactive about it and say, this is my money. I want to have somebody come out, look at it, give me an estimate for what it's going to cost before you ever put the house on the market. And then that way you can decide, okay, my, my roof, is it needs, I'm probably going to get hit on a home inspection for various things. They're going to ask to negotiate off for the roof. So I can replace the roof today, and it's a marketing tool now. And that's my money spent. Or I can not replace it and know that they're going to want to negotiate, and that's my negotiation tool. So it's, it's a question of being prepared before the home inspector and before you price the house. Exactly, exactly. Well, these people were spot on with uh, getting with us early enough on where we could advise them in this direction, and we've already sent them in Amber's direction. And, uh, of course, we're going to go out and take a look for them, and we try to hit the high spots, like Christopher mentioned, looking at the roof. Uh, we, we're not licensed HVAC guys. Uh, we're pretty well versed in that area, so a lot of times what I like to do – and uh, if you know an HVAC tech, you can go out there on your condenser unit that usually sits on the side or the back of the house. You can snap a quick picture of the tag that has all of the serial numbers on there and just forward that via text or email to an HVAC guy. And a lot of times they don't have to send someone out. They can look at your unit and say, this is X number of years old and this is so many tons. A lot of times you can just tell them your square footage and make sure that you have the proper tonnage. I want to say on a traditional on a traditional house, it's about 600 square feet per ton is the mass. So uh, if you have an 1,800-square-foot house, you should have about a three-ton system. And, and I'd also like to say, so then there's the other side of that equation. So if you're the, the person that's buying the home, and, again, Amber and them at the A-Team, they're amazing at buying houses. They're helping us through that process as well. And so if you're the person that's purchasing the home, a savvy buyer is going to know there's a couple of items that are – kind of big ticket items that if that comes up in the home inspection report that they're going to be able to negotiate the price back down and so again as a seller know that there's savvy buyers out there and as a buyer know that there's savvy sellers out there mm -hmm. and that's that's a level playing field and that's a way that that you can be proactive both as the seller and the buyer to be able to use information that's available to help you have a win-win for everybody involved that's great well i think the the, the big picture here is that she got more money than Christopher and his wife asked originally. So if you're not in this for the relationship, which we work with these folks, you know, weekly, monthly, if you're just in this to sell your home and move on, you know, you just can't beat those results. Absolutely. They did an amazing job, and uh, I would recommend Amber and the A-Team. They're with Keller Williams any time of the, any day of the week. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that, and um, I um, we had several other questions that came in and um i guess we'll just go ahead and tackle some of those okay uh so well, what would be the ideal house for our area without maybe breaking the bank so this is someone that we're actually going to be building for in the fall and they sent this question a week ago and we're just now getting around to it but um you know the ideal house the way we're going to price this house is uh, we're going to start from the bottom here with a conditioned crawl space. I know we've talked about that on several programs and talked about the pros and the cons there, but conditioned crawl space is not very expensive in the big picture and in terms of what it does for your air handler and, and the underside of the house, the humidity control. 
all that is just worth it in my opinion. Uh, the next thing we're going to do with these uh, two by six exterior walls that we're going to increase the insulation on the envelope by about 50%. So that, you know, two by four wall versus a two by six doesn't sound like a big deal, but literally 50% more insulation inside that two by six cavity, we do something called a flash and bat insulation package. And the reason I like flash and bat versus all foam, um, the flash is one inch of spray foam with a bat insulation tucked in behind there. I believe that gives you about an R19 in your walls. If you were to do spray foam, in the in the entire wall cavity that's okay it's very efficient our value is through the roof but if you ever have to add anything in those walls it's impossible so uh, i think i mentioned this in an earlier program as well but we have all these phone jacks in our house that we don't use any longer so those are obsolete you know 20 years down the road you may need to get inside that wall cavity to add whatever the latest greatest technology is and we just feel like flashing back gives you a lot more room to grow so to speak um, the next thing that i'm a big fan of is spray foam in the attic now this is where it gets pricey but I'll, I'll unfold why this is worth it and why the payoff is good and, and on the back side. Uh, spray foam in, in, in the attic, of course, we use closed cell. The open cell is a little bit cheaper, but open cell, of course, will absorb water where closed cell will not. So we just feel really strong about sticking with the closed cell. Um, uh, this is a side note, but you don't have to use a ridge vent when you do spray foam in the entire attic. And I want to say it's around six inches of spray foam. And technically, they claim that this spray foam will keep enough heat off the backside of that roof decking that it doesn't void any kind of warranty. And all of the roofing manufacturers seem to be on board with this. So uh, it also keeps your, your air handler, same as in the crawl space, it keeps your air handler in more of a controlled space. So where most people have attics in the 160s, you know, this will drop your attic temperature considerably. And it just makes a more favorable environment for that air handler to work. Um, Speaking with the local insulation guy a few days back, he made me aware that if you're going to use an attic for storage, that you have to do an ignition barrier over top of that spray foam. So they'll put the six inches of spray foam, and then they'll hit it with an ignition barrier, and that's basically just a fire protection fail-safe there. Um, the big thing that this does with the spray foam and, and where the payoff comes back is that Normally, that 600 square feet per ton that I mentioned earlier is the rule of thumb that HVAC contractors use to size their units. When you do spray foam in the entire house and you seal that envelope up, you can get away with as much as 900 square feet per ton. So that downsizes your HVAC unit, and not only does that save you cost up front on the monthly use, it saves you a lot of money. And those houses are just really easy to heat and cool. Uh, there's not really a con or a drawback, but the one thing that you want to be sure of if you go this route is to introduce some fresh air. I was talking with Jeff Duggins over at Duggins Mechanical, and he told me a funny story about a lady that, that had this exact same setup in her house. And the lady was pregnant at the time, so her sense of smell was extra sensitive. And every time they would cook a meal in the house, they could still smell the, the residue in the air from, from whatever they cooked three days later because the house was just so tight. Uh, what she would do is crack a window if it were a favorable day for the ambient temperature to you know be pulled in from the returns from the window. But... Uh, the right way to do this is just to tap into that return and introduce some fresh air into the system, and that makes it work really well. So uh, what you're doing with this enclosed envelope with all this spray foam and conditioned crawl space, really three things. You're controlling the indoor air quality, which is a big deal, and especially if you have pets or, you know, a breathing condition or something like that, um, you know, you're controlling the, hu the humidity, and that's a bigger deal than people really know because that weighs on other things in the house, like insulation and anything with a cellulose backer, like a drywall product. And probably the most important thing is it's very efficient. So air quality, humidity, and efficiency are the three things. Um, I was told a long time ago uh, when Energy Star and 
the big uh, efficiency boom happened in the early 2000s that people buy value and durability more so than energy efficiency. So you really have to pitch this in a way where people can see the value on the back end, and, and I think that it, it's well worth it, and, and I really advise people to go this route. We're going to do a house like this coming here in the fall, and um, I hope to have some really good results to talk about on the radio. Okay. All right. We've had another question uh, from a listener that says, uh, we live in an older home, and our utilities are very costly. Can we do anything to lower these? Um, yes. So on the last question, I started from the bottom up, and I'll start from the top down on this. And uh, I think Christopher did a few of these things on the home that he recently sold, so so these are some things that he can chime in on. But um, if we're starting from the top down, the first thing you want to do is control the heat transfer in the attic there's a product that that we used to put on the backside of rafters. Now, if you're new construction, I don't mean to get off the point, but in new construction, they actually sell plywood that you can use as the roof sheathing that has this radiant barrier on the backside of the plywood. So it's built in. It does the exact same thing, but uh, I think it's a couple of dollars more per piece, but well, well worth it. If I could build another house now uh, with that product available, that's a no-brainer. And um, the way that you do it as a retrofit is you take this radiant barrier in there, and it basically stapled or nailed to the underside of the roof rafters so it just creates a cavity that basically traps that hot air and it traps the hot air that comes in from the outside or that the roof absorbs and it channels that hot air up to whatever type of roof ventilation that you have and uh, we feel like that's the very first and cheapest step Uh, this radiant barrier just to paint you a picture basically looks like a tin foil with a, a fiber woven into it and it comes in about a three foot roll so you know on an early cooler morning you could get do about half of your attic yourself. It's a, it's not always a do-it-yourself project, and and there are companies out here that offer this as a service, but but definitely doable if you're pretty handy. Um, the next thing that we do is we go on the uppermost ceiling. So uppermost, uh, if you have a second floor, meaning the second floor ceiling, which is the barrier between the attic and the living space, and we seal around any penetration. So if there are recessed cans or you know, a return or just a, a light fixture that, that has a hole going through it, we fill all those up with spray foam. You'd be amazed at how much air that your return will pull in. And, of course, there's going to be a return on, on the second floor or first floor, whatever you have, and it pulls air from the, the point of least resistance. And so sealing around all of those penetrations between the attic and the heated space, very important to do. Uh, beyond that, and the reason you do that first is because it's very cheap and a good idea to add some blown insulation. Uh, blown insulation, I, don't, I can't quote the, the per square foot, but the latest code is R38 in your attic. I recommend going, you know, in the 40s and just asking the insulation contractor, hey, what's the code minimum? Do that and maybe add a few extra inches. You're not talking thousands of dollars. You're talking a couple hundred dollars to increase your R value by, say, 5 or 10. And in terms of bringing your utilities down, that's going to be a big deal. Um, it's more important in the winter, of course, because heat rises, but the overhead insulation, if I had to rate that versus the insulation that's under your floor, I would say overhead is definitely more important for your utilities. Um, the next thing, moving into the heated and cooled space, a lot of these older homes had these windows that were basically handmade. They weren't built in a factory. They were around before vinyl windows became popular, and I want to say the R value is around 3 for a vinyl window, so the R value on these windows are basically... Uh, one or something like that it is amazing that the difference in in what a new product brings to the table versus an old but what you can do is either have a trim carpenter or if you're pretty handy grab a flat bar and a hammer you can pop off the casing around 
the sides and the top of the window, and I know that we mentioned this on a couple of different programs, but go in there with some low expansion spray foam. Uh, Lowe's only offered the product called Great Stuff a while back, and you want to make sure you get the low expansion if you use Great Stuff. But I saw the other day that they actually have another product in there with a professional wand, which is the gun that you apply that foam with, and they basically had a nice package for do-it-yourselfers right there available in Lowe's. But foaming around those windows, that is where a ton of your heat transfer takes place, especially if you have a, a vinyl siding or a wood siding house. So Yes, and we had uh, the house that we're selling is a 1933 uh, bungalow, and so it has went through some renovations. The windows had been replaced, and um, I have a thermal imaging camera that I'm able to put on my phone and look at heat loss uh, that I use for, for roofing work. And um, so I was able to bring that to the house and kind of go around and look at the windows. The windows seem pretty tight, but you could tell that there's heat loss around doors, windows. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's bad. Um, the I did foam around the drop-down to get into the attic. Um, the uh, I, I redid some some foam strips around the doors and things like that and it's it's plain as day you, you walk through the house and if you feel a little bit of a a breeze coming through mm-hmm. then it there's definitely an issue coming in there and um we also did i think the next thing you'll probably talk about and have spoke on the show which is you know a vapor barrier and stuff underneath the house as well mm-hmm. would that thermal imaging camera cost you uh, it was not much. I think it was like $150. Right. It's just a little thing that clips onto your phone, uh-huh. and you, you just it's an app that you download, and you look at it through your phone. So it's not amazing, but it's pretty high quality. No, Yeah, I saw one of those, and I think my son tried to use it as a deer camera once, and it didn't work so well for that. But if you're in a house with a different ambient temperature outside than in, you, you know, it, it works pretty well. And I, I've seen one of those, and uh, I think homeowners will be wise to invest $150 because if you can find the point of entry or the point of heat loss – you know, $150 will pay for itself in just a few months if you can fix that problem. Uh, also, uh, moisture control, you know, just having something to uh, to check out. any Anything that you see where uh, there may be holding any kind of moisture, a moisture meter is super cheap, and that's another thing that, that I definitely recommend. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the attic door. A lot of times in these older homes, you've got the return in the hallway, and, of course, you've got the attic pull downstairs. That was a biggie with the Energy Star thing back uh, 10, 15 years ago, and the way we would retrofit an attic pull downstairs is uh, we would basically pull the stairs off and we would detach the stairs. You don't necessarily have to do that, but the, the three big things that you do is add weather stripping around the perimeter. You can imagine uh, an average door is about an inch and a half thick. These attic doors are just basically a piece of luon or very thin plywood that's not even a quarter. So if it's going to be a, a smaller than average door that controls the, the heat transfer from your attic to the cooled space, you definitely want a, a weather strip as cheap as that is. Another thing that we would do is take caulk, and we would cut rigid foam out, and we would cut the rigid foam to fit the back side of that door. So we added a thickness. And the last thing that's important to add is something called an attic tent. An attic tent, something you can order online now. You can get those at Alamance Insulation locally, but an attic tent is just like it sounds. It, it sits right up over that pull downstairs, and it's basically a big piece of insulation covered in radiant barrier. That's the kind that I use. They've got several types available, but uh, the type that we are fans of is the radiant barrier with the insulation sandwiched in between it. When you pull your stairs down, it's really lightweight and easy to move to the side, but that's definitely something that will contribute to your your utilities coming down i think you can even find that style uh possibly available at home depot okay great great um i wanted to mention something that i did a long time ago as far as energy efficiency just to paint a a really good picture of of how much saving just a hundred dollars a month will will accumulate to over time when we were doing more new construction 
we basically did a calculation and I got on Duke Energy's website and their price per kilowatt hour is public information. So say you have an older home and it's gas, uh, heat, and you know your utilities are $600, $700 a month. It is amazing what that $100 or $200, if you do the math on, say, $200 saved, that's uh, $2,400 a year. And I want to say that's up uh, to just if, if the price per kilowatt hour stayed what it is right now in you know, 20 years, you're talking uh, seventy, hundred thousand dollars, uh, whatever the math is there. But the important thing to know in these calculations is the more you save per month, the more that end number multiplies exponentially. So you've got a two thousand square foot house. The rule of thumb is that your utilities should be around a buck to a buck twenty five a square foot. I want, our houses that we were doing with all these bells and whistles and energy tricks were coming out right around thirty forty cents a square foot. So we had, I want to say, an eighteen hundred square foot house it was handicap accessible so all the all the ceilings were low there wasn't anything cathedral or fancy but we did all the things that I'm, i mentioned earlier and this house had a 45 dollar power bill every month and that was everything so it was amazing and you got to imagine it doesn't sound like a lot a couple hundred dollars a month but in some of these older homes with six or seven hundred dollar utilities you're cutting three and four hundred dollars a month out of there and the end number is just amazing the way i would sell this approach is say hey you know in 30 years, the, the estimated life of your mortgage, you're going to pay for your house once or pay for it twice. And I don't think that the energy costs are going to go down anytime soon. <laughs> I don't think they're going to remain flat. So I think that math can kind of continue to move on up as well. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen the prices go down. Not really. No, no. no. Okay. Well, we got uh, another uh, another question from a listener that uh, says, "What is the advantage of the?" engineered lumber versus traditional lumber um we commented on this one about two months ago i think another similar similar question came in about uh, about lvls and with the engineered lumber that, that we have now as an option you know engineered lumber is basically like eye joist or roof trusses that you hear all that is engineered lumber um, a lot of people prefer to do a house what they call stick built so basically the framer just takes individual wood members and he builds the house um, just piece by piece and it's not as fast that way. I'm a bigger fan of stick-built than engineered, but there are certain situations where engineered beams or engineered lumber is just called for, and it makes a much better uh, design, much better end product. Um, the one thing that's probably the, the biggest difference is that engineered lumber can span so much further than, say, a triple 2 by 10 beam. If you've got a um, if you have a double LVL uh, and, and that you can kind of recess in the ceiling or in the floor system, you don't really see that. But when you have these homes that are the living room and the kitchen and, say, the dining area or all this big open space, the way that they achieve that is with this engineered lumber. Uh, another advantage, and this is a no-brainer, but everything is much straighter. When it comes out of the press, you know, these engineered, these engineered products are perfectly straight. Um, another thing that they hang their hat on is that they don't squeak. So when you're installing a floor system and, say, the framer's putting the plywood down on top of the floor system, a common cause of a, a floor squeak is when he shoots that nail and he doesn't hit it square on the member that he's attempting to nail into. So, you know, over the years, when you're walking over that spot, you can kind of work that nail loose, and it, the nail's actually rubbing the side of the eye joist. So that's the only time I've seen that not to be true, but the eye joist or the LVLs themselves do not squeak or make any noise. Um 
Another advantage is they're not porous, so they don't take on any moisture at all. Now, if you're on a job site and you've got LVLs that were delivered too early, we get a big rainstorm, somebody didn't plan very well, and they're sitting in a lower area and they sit in water, yeah, they can be ruined like that. But in terms of just being in the house, and unless they don't come into any kind of direct contact with water, they will not absorb any moisture. So uh, I guess the last thing I could comment on is that the engineering costs go down. A lot of these trust manufacturers have engineers on staff. So when I used to draw my own blueprints for these houses, I would basically do the floor plans and the elevation, and I would leave all the structural up to the engineers from the trust company. I would give them a CAD file, and they would just take that, and they would run with it. They would engineer a trust package, and that trust package you know, would be good for the local municipality as far as getting permits, and all the inspectors sign off on it because an engineer trumps an inspector. And, um, and, and you know, so they, they don't charge anything for that service if you choose to go all engineered floor systems and roof in the house. But, um, you know, that being said, most of the walls are stick-built, so, you know, you can have engineered down under in the floor system. You can have engineered overhead in the roof system, and you can have a beam or two to address some of those spans that we talked about. But ultimately, um, uh, you know, it's a combination of both no matter how you shake it. Um, the cost, uh, the cost of these engineered beams, I guess this would be a con. They're slightly more, and it depends on what you're going for. If you're, you want your family to be together while you're cooking in the kitchen, you can keep an eye on the kids in the living room. I would spend a few extra hundred dollars to have a big open space if that's what it takes to achieve that. Um, the weight is another thing. Uh, you, you have to uh, really account for these things. They're super heavy, so if you've got to get a crane or a boom truck in just to set one of these members, definitely want to factor that cost in. I had a question for you about engineered lumber, about your opinion on this. How do you think that today's engineered lumber would hold up against stick-built lumber over the long term? Because I feel like like with stick-built lumber, the technology with that is probably not going to get a whole lot better than it it's currently not. is. And if you say, well... Lumber that was used in the 30s was so much better than lumber that's used today. I feel like engineered lumber at least has the room to improve over the next 50 years or whatever. That And it, it may exceed the capabilities of regular lumber like right. very quickly. Oh, yeah. So that's a great question. And, and the thing is, if you've ever tried to drive a nail into a, a wood member that's 100 years old, you know, it takes a few more wax to get where you're going. And, you know, with the, the new lumber, of course, you can just about you can just about drive a nail with one hit, and I don't want to say that for everybody, but I know that the building codes have recently changed because the lumber now has grown so quickly that they've had to change what used to be a double two by ten is now a triple two by ten, and that's just a roundabout example. But the way that they grow the the species of wood so much faster than they used to, I think that that was something that contributed to the rise of these engineered products because the the wood that you just buy right off the shelf at the local building supply or at Lowe's, you know, it's just not what it used to be. I think at some point, um, except for some mixed-use stuff or smaller 2 by 4 lumber is just needed, I think you're going to see things go away from that, be engineered lumber and, like, aluminum framing and stuff. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things are going towards that, and as well as, uh, like, structural in insulated panels. Those are made off-site, mm -hmm. and everything that I just pitched about these super-duper insulated walls on a 2 by 6 uh, structural insulated panels have, have got that down and then some. Uh, I'm a fan of a structural insulated panel. It just It's a little unorthodox at this point. Not a lot of people incorporate that into the building process, but if you have a house that's not very cut up and you can get these structural insulated panels as the envelope of the house, your utilities will be exponentially cheaper than they would be if you were just to build this thing traditionally.
And I think that's what's part of what's so interesting about being in construction is that there's there's always so much innovation because of competition. So it seems like there's always going to – there's something new on the horizon, some new style, some new design that somebody's going to come out with that will just be better for whatever the application is. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And uh, these builder shows, they have a lot of new products. And we always – we don't make it to these builder shows because I have so many children. I just can't travel like I'd like to. But uh, – I enjoy watching the the videos and and all the new products that come out. And a lot of times these things, they they come out and they they don't really serve a purpose, or maybe they're not econo- economical enough for the average person to incorporate that into their house. But you know, uh, a lot of these things stick. And just like Advantech that we talked about with the zip system, I want to say last week or the week before, you know, that's something that really got a foothold. And seems like people are doing that by the subdivision and not by the house. So you're exactly right, Chris. Okay. You know, you were talking about uh, the older house and, and losing so much heat and, 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 of course, summertime, heat coming in, that sort of thing. And I've got a house that was built in 71, uh, mm-hmm. and the uh, it's got a whole house ventilation fan uh-huh. so in, built into the ceiling. And it only took me about three or four years to, f- to figure out that I've got a hole in my ceiling, <laughs> and not only is my heat going up through the, the little louvers that, uh-huh. that, that pop up when the fan comes on to... To suck the air out of the house, but also in the summertime, the heat that's in the in this uh, ceiling is pushing down through there into the house, mm-hmm. and so I uh, I built my own uh, tent. Yeah, a little tent that that uh, took some uh, styrofoam insulation, put some what I thought was fairly nice paper around it to somewhat match the ceiling, and made it fit over top of this thing, and so we were talking about you know twenty feet. Up, uh-huh. in the, up in the ceiling, so I had to get some a stick or something to do it. But I, de- I keep that thing up there, except when I'm when those those times in the spring and the fall when it's it's good. I can run that, uh-huh. and and I don't have to run my air conditioner or heat. Yeah, and so I think that's a really good idea, the, especially custom fitting that thing. That was, it, it was it was fun. Yeah, there's <laughs> surely some loss there, uh, and I love those fans. I um, do too. They, I grew up in a house that didn't have any air conditioning. I was like, it was an old farmhouse, and my grandparents mm-hmm. had one. And that was like that was what air conditioning was to me oh, mm-hmm. until I, I learned about something different than that. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I remember the remember those days. Didn't have any AC until I moved out. And I think well, okay, they could afford it then, but uh, it, was, so, it was it was it was interesting. One thing you want to check if you made like a bad insulation cover for this thing or a makeshift attic tent, like you mentioned, that's that's cutting off the conductive heat transfer so basically the radiant heat that's trying to make its way into your house from the attic it'll cover that or you know 